whatever's in my heart. Hello, hello. Welcome to Dancing on Desks. I'm Monet. Hey, y'all. I'm Erin. Thank you for joining us. We're continuing with pleasure, something that's an abundant resource, but real talk, you know, the relentlessness of a global climate of white supremacy and anti-Blackness in Palestine and Israel and here in the United States can make us feel like pleasure is in really short supply. We're here to say it ain't. As teachers and folks who work in education, we face a really relentless school year and Bell Hooks reminds us. If we are being abused in any way, we are not being loved. That love is antithetical to abuse and to domination. And that marvelous moment in, for me in the book when I'm talking about what do we teach our children about love? What is the miseducation we give them? And part of the miseducation we give them is that you can violate someone and then say you love them. We have to ponder that miseducation about the nature of love. So we looked at each other and our educator friends and said, you know, how are we supposed to be enacting love on ourselves to the children we serve, to the parents we serve, to the communities we live and we work in if we are being abused by a structure that commands our days to be filled with impossible decisions about time and attention and grades and lesson plans and meetings about students or school policy. And all of this mandates that we are a part of the carceral apparatus of school and school discipline. These decisions are not grounded in social justice as the practice of love. This is what Martin Luther King Jr. calls love and where do we go from here? So many of us educators, we say that our work is about that social justice work. And, you know, whether we're the rich auntie, that friend, a parent, or another kind of caregiver, our people, you know, our our children, our parents, our students, our family, our friends, our colleagues, our beloved, in the name of us doing the work, they're witnessing us not playing or not practicing pleasure. And not fully loving ourselves. <sighs> the love we're enabled to act for ourselves is also reflective of the love we're able to give to our chosen and blood families. I feel like I sound like my my grandmama right now. <laughs> and she comes in. She comes in. She's always here. In this season of pleasure, we're learning with educators and youth and caregivers and you who are sharing stories about their own pleasure practices. We're asking how might our personal rest and pleasure practices sustain our collective liberation? How are rest and pleasure connected to education as the practice of freedom? And gosh, we're really wondering, how do we sustain ourselves in education? The Nat Bishop Trisha Hersey writes in her book, Rest is Resistance, grind culture is a collaboration between capitalism and white supremacy. And this episode's storyteller, Brittany Elise. Can we, wait a minute, wait a minute. Can we just pause there? <laughs> Can we just pause <laughs> there? It is so violent. And while I would just say capitalism is a form of white supremacy, it's a growth of white supremacy. Woo! The Nat Bishop is having us look at how we are also in collusion with it. Okay, keep talking about Brittany Elise. I'm sorry, I interrupted. We can't talk about Brittany's story without bringing in Trisha Hersey because... 
this episode's storyteller, Brittany Elise, really learned this collusion with grind culture, this collusion with white supremacy that we as educators have throughout her career as a teacher. You know, she moved from being a middle school teacher and and school leader in Philadelphia and Boston, where she really learned to push students and herself to leaving the classroom and centering her own self-love. And now she has returned to the classroom as a kindergarten teacher. Brittany is a mother, a yoga instructor, and an educator living in Charlotte, North Carolina with her son, Elias. Brittany shares about how her yoga practices gave her the clarity to leave her job in Boston and head south for a move that has invited an abundant pleasure and love for her and her son. And so let's listen in to Brittany's story. My name is Brittany, Brittany Elise. I am a mother. I'm an educator, a practitioner of yoga, and a writer. I was trained through Teach for America, and from the very beginning of my Teach for America experience, it was clear to the people in charge that in some way I was going to be a problem. And I was treated as such for the first time in my academic career. When I got to Teach for America, they were like, nah, she's not, she's not following the script. Because I also became a teacher because my mother was a teacher. And I think in many ways, I was still working through losing her and wanting to continue to be very connected to her. And I saw following in her footsteps as one avenue to do that. I did the Breakthrough Collaborative in college and I moved to San Francisco for the summer and I taught sixth graders and I just really loved the energy exchange, the way that I felt when I was doing something for them, when I was going to Chinatown to buy squids for them to dissect or taking them on a field trip somewhere really cool. The connections and the bonds and the ways that I was able to serve kids who were like me, Brown kids, queer kids, poor kids, smart kids, weird, quirky, nerdy kids. Like, I loved them. And I was deeply committed to making sure that education continued to feel fun and exciting and engaging. But I learned a lot about what it meant to just like push kids and push kids and push kids and teach for America. And my first school assignment in Philadelphia was a Promise Academy under Dr. Arlene Ackerman, where we worked really long hours and really long school years and Saturday school and just everything super, super extra. The teachers wore the same uniform as the kids, so we all looked identical. Eventually, most people saw how ineffective a system it was and how That fear just drove folks to do things like cheat and lie (laughs) as opposed to really like work well and excel. I had years of programming about like what it meant to be a good teacher from administrators and principals that pushed me to work really, really hard for my students and to take on a lot of responsibility to try to go above and beyond to do work that I now see was exploitative, (laughs) to work hours that were ridiculous, 
unhealthy, to spend an amount of time from my son that was unfair <laughs> to his just emotional development, truly. And I pushed myself to the point where in my second year as an assistant principal, I had a panic attack in the stairwell, didn't know what had happened. But once I got myself together, I think I went and did an observation. Like I just was at such a pace of pushing through and pushing through that when the pandemic hit and I finally like got a break where I could sit on my porch and eat my meals with my son and just observe nature, just watch squirrels and birds, observe how the flowers are blooming around, just be, <laughs> I was like, oh, I can't go back. There's no way. When I finally saw how healthy I could be, when I had time to exercise and to pray and to eat well, and how effective I could be for my community. As odd as it sounds, I, I, I think the pandemic is probably what pushed me or what served as a catalyst for my ability to show up as the one mighty being that I am without feeling the weight to be the solution for every problem that I would face throughout the day. And it inspired a commitment to myself to not go back to recognizing how harmful it is to myself, to my lineage, to my health, to not honor my need for food and water and sleep and connection and exercise and fresh air. And to recognize that that is my right as a human as much as it is my right to provide that as a teacher to my students. And that's my commitment. So I'm going to treat them like people. Yeah, we probably are going to go outside a little bit more than you want in the schedule. They're five. It's a nice day. I'm, I'm going to let them play. <laughs> and it's not the choice every day. But today, I recognize something in my students, and I provided that for them. Not this cookie-cutter version of a teacher that I felt that I had to be in order to, like, end oppression. <laughs> I recognize you like this, my liberation, my freedom is your liberation, your freedom. This is how we unlock that. This is ending that oppression. My mother passed away when I was 13. And so like my life in the teenage years, I lived with a lot of different kinds of people. My mother had worked really hard to make sure that we each received the best education possible. So in the 90s, that meant we left Boston and we moved to Raleigh, North Carolina. Raleigh still had busing as a policy. And so we were bused from our neighborhood in Southeast Raleigh to public schools in North Raleigh that were excellent. And I really excelled there. So when my mother passed away, when I showed back up in Boston in the public school system, very quickly the teachers that I had encouraged my godparents to pursue private school options for me, which was great because I met a lot of different people. And while my godparents did not keep us and house us for the remainder of high school, I landed with a family that I would only know through private school and in that family, I got to see an acupuncturist. 
just like not something that probably would have been accessible to me or that I even would have thought of, but they had a healer that they worked with as a family and that acupuncturist, he suggested that I go to yoga. But at that point, I was poor Black girl going to an all-white prep school, basically, in Boston. I had, like, enough traumatic experiences just being in rooms full of white girls in $200 pants. I was just like, yoga, no thank you. Absolutely not. All of these stereotypes in my mind about, like, what yoga meant, that stopped me from practicing it. But whenever I would be around my friends, and actually what I know now was in a place where my parasympathetic system was at ease and calm, I would find myself like stretching and reaching and breathing very deeply. And my friends were always very intrigued by this and they would like help me, they would like sit on me or like walk on my back, all of this like body work that truly like I had a deep need and desire for, but did not trust the system that I knew of yoga to provide for me but that I was getting in community. Eventually, <laughs> I realized, oh, this is kind of a yoga practice. I had a boss when I was working as a consultant in Boston who introduced me to a yoga teacher on YouTube, which I hadn't really thought of, but I found her instruction to be very clear and very helpful. So I practiced at home with her, but I really appreciated that whenever I needed a yoga practice, it was there, it was free, and it was accessible to me. So while we didn't share many identities, I felt safe enough in my home to receive instruction from this white woman. It wasn't until the pandemic that I realized how much having a yoga practice had really transformed my own life, like my own mental headspace, my own connection with my body that I decided to try becoming a yoga teacher myself. Brittany joined a yoga teacher training where all of the participants identified as women and half as women of color. And this space felt different from the other yoga classes and studios she'd been to before. The training happened online and they had windows into each other's intimate lives, meeting each other's pets and families through the screens. So we were doing that through a screen, through the practice and understanding and unpacking of this like very deep practice for liberation that none of us knew that that was what it was. You know, we all were just like, we like to stretch and breathe. It feels good. And then we get there and we're like, oh, that's why it feels good. Because this is an ancient, deep spiritual practice built towards providing us an opportunity to free ourselves from all of the crap that is holding us and weighing us back and down. Tony K. Bambera reminds us that wholeness is no trifling matter. The lessons from Brittany's yoga training started to shape the way she thought about her relationship with work and with Boston. This is just out of alignment. I know what it feels like to be in a good place and I can feel that I'm not in a good place here. I need to exit. And I'd never done that before. I had always committed to just finishing the year at least, that that was what a good educator does. You don't leave kids in the middle of the year. And I think as an orphan, there was a sense of, I won't abandon children because I 
have felt the pain of abandonment. But I started to recognize how that was just another tool that was used to manipulate folks into staying in places that were unhealthy and into doing things that were beyond humane or necessary. And so I decided to release it all. It was very scary. And I don't think without a deeper yoga practice, I would have gotten to that place. I was too exhausted. I had allowed myself to be too used by the system to make space for my own individuality and divinity. I just was a robot, like on a machine, and I couldn't go back to being a robot. And so I I started sharing a little bit more publicly on my Instagram platform. I would share just a little bit of what I was thinking and how I was hoping to enter the week. Because as an educator, I had always associated Sundays with the scaries, that terrible feeling that you get when you know the weekend is over and you're already scared about what you probably are behind on because you're always behind on something because there's always something to do. And I didn't want to keep feeling that way. So I said, let me change the energy. I'll put out how I want to feel on Sundays. I want my Sundays to be sweet. That's the way I intend to engage with the week. I want the entire week to be peaceful. I do not want to just relegate the sense of joy, love, and peace that I've been able to find to just the weekend. No, I read bell hooks, okay? I want to love work. I want to love my coworkers. I want it. And so when it came time to actually release that job, I spoke about surrender for Sunday Sweetness, just shared that I didn't know what was going to happen, but I was just going to let go and let God. <laughs> that I, I truly felt that in my spirit, this was the best choice for me and that there was no way that this would fail. Everything just started happening in the most magical ways. Somebody bought me a car. Just, I had a car, a car I probably would have just kept on using and trying my best to put money into and to fix. And someone was just like, you know what? I actually have a lot of money and I want to use some of it just to buy you a brand new car. That's the type of just like random miracle that I, I hadn't even known to consider could happen to a person. I'd been praying about where to move because I did not feel that my spirit was at peace in Boston anymore. It felt crowded and cramped and I truly desired more space and freedom. I thought about the way that the weather impacted me, how sad I would get during blizzards and how awful it felt to shovel out my building and my car and <laughs> And to have to do it again and again. <laughs> and so I started dreaming of the South. I started journaling and writing and just trying to figure out like where my spirit was calling me. And while we had lived in Raleigh, I had always wanted to visit Charlotte and had never been. So Brittany started imagining a life for herself and for her son Elias in Charlotte. A life of vegan restaurants and nature reserves. And soon people in her life were talking about Charlotte and confirming for her what she really knew in her spirit. I said, all right, I'm just going to go. I'll just give it a shot. 
I packed up things. I gave away all my plants. I hired a moving company. I packed what I could up in my car with my son. And we started driving down south. We just fell in love. <laughs> there were so, so many things that immediately felt very welcoming, even just as Black people to be in the South. To be from the North, quite often, there's a lot of fear around being in the South. But getting to Charlotte and seeing how many Black people there were compared to Boston, I immediately felt a bit more ease in my own body. Just to feel like there was more space, I started to feel like I could breathe a little bit easier to go and look at houses for the same price that for rent that like apartments are in Boston. I could expand and really see a life here that felt more aligned to the dream that I had for myself. I think I felt in my body when I got here that I was supposed to be here. In many ways, I did not realize how I was recreating my mother's footsteps, even in that, until someone else was like, oh, isn't that kind of like, yeah, my mother did that. She packed us up in a U-Haul and we drove down to Raleigh and we started our lives over. And I don't know what type of courage it really takes for a single mother to move three kids down to North Carolina with like no solid plans. But it was not easy. I watched my mother struggle to make it work when she came down to Raleigh. And I remember that house hunting experience very differently from what it felt like this time. There are so many opportunities that I have to reclaim this journey, this career, and to embody it in a way that my ancestors did not always have the freedom or the support to do. And I feel their support. I have this level of support and ease because my mother is in the spirit world making things shake. Brittany's release invited in abundance for herself and for her son. The move to North Carolina also provided me an opportunity to homeschool my son. The return to school was not only difficult on my nervous system, but it was very difficult for my son. He has arthrogryposis multiplex congenita, which means that in utero, he grew certain contractures or joints in his body that were just very calcified. So they just don't move as easily and he's not as flexible. So his ankles are tighter. His um, shoulders are kind of supinated. His wrists as well. Elias has always had a very strong sense of self. But when kids came back from the pandemic, I saw a lot of sad and angry children taking their sadness and anger out on one another. But that manifested in a lot of bullying for my son to survive. And I recognized how it was hurting his spirit. So when we moved to North Carolina, we took a year just to kind of cleanse where he homeschooled and really did express his own joy. Elias also loves practicing yoga. We practice together. 
but he chose to return back to school and I'm very proud of him and excited for him in that. I know that he's a very social being. I hope that he has the skills to continue to support his own nervous system, even as he deals with the ignorances or insecurities of others. North Carolina has given both of us more time to be with one another and to connect and more space to explore (laughs) and to be with one another indoors and outdoors. And as he's gotten older, he's expressed like more of a need and a desire to spend time alone, which is also wonderful as a single parent to be like, yeah, go ahead, do your thing. Having more spaces and places to do that and new spaces and places to do that has been exciting for him as well. All of those things are providing Elias with some pleasure, even if it also comes with its challenges. Brittany has us over here asking, what becomes possible when we practice release? What becomes possible when we invite pleasure in? Invite others in. I have gotten very comfortable with pleasure over the past few years. I don't think that it was always something that I felt worthy of. For a while, I think I would just like went along with, it's not for everybody. It's fine to be content without it. But I realized (laughs) that that was a lie, you know? I think, again, the ability to be with myself, to step out into nature, to cook what I wanted to cook for lunch, not just what I was able to throw into a quick Tupperware before running out of the door at 6.30, to feel free to do a yoga practice over my lunch break. All of those practices were incredibly pleasurable to me in that I think I began to attract more and more of it. I started to feel like more worthy of it. I enjoyed washing my face more. It just kind of one thing leads to the next. Okay, now I have glowing skin. That makes me feel wonderful. Well, I made myself delicious food. My body feels good. I look good. I feel good. Let me put on something cute. Okay, yes, I'm really feeling myself. I'm My smile's brighter. Let me go ahead and put on those really nice sunglasses, the ones I know are attention getters. Because what? That's okay. It's all right. I'm worthy of those things. In that energy, I have also been blessed enough to attract the true love of my life. I am very much in love. And my partner is also an educator, is a professor and a writer. She is right there with me. We are both so deeply committed to raising free Black children. She has a son. I have a son. And see our work as a connection to that, a deepening of that an expanding of that with all these other youth and children that we get to engage with and support and love on and teach and pour into every day. It's quite possible to find a relationship from wherever you are, but in many ways, I feel like those relationships mirror back to you where you are. Because I was in a place of calm and peace and deep connection, I met someone there. 
for the first time, I can say I'm in a relationship where it really is pleasurable. Showing up like truly at peace and confident and calm and knowing that you deserve wonderful things and so do your people is a really different place to attract love from. I will say that feeling worthy of great love, of pleasure, of support, absolutely allowed me to attract that. I feel also (laughs) very astrology-wise. I'm a Pisces moon. I see the pleasure in so many things. I'm outside looking at the eclipse yesterday and feeling deep pleasure at the capacity just to witness that, to see that, to show it to my son, to take a deep breath and just be like, that was really beautiful. What a wonderful show nature just put on for us. I'm going to find pleasure in a good cup of tea and a great article and a deep conversation. The truth is when you work with little tiny humans, pleasure abounds. They are funny. They are adorable. They are endlessly sweet. They are deeply empathic. There's nothing like pouring love into a classroom full of kindergartners. You will get back way more than you put in. They (laughs) are rings of joy and beauty and excitement and discovery and growth and incredible meditation on transformation. What do we get to witness about ourselves and others when we sit in pleasure? Brittany notices the relationships in her life stretching, becoming fuller, expansive, because she is. Trisha Hersey writes, we must stand and lay firmly in the space of creating a life filled with rest and radical care, even amid oppression. When Brittany allowed herself to leave in order to love on herself and unlearn what she'd been taught education should be, she was able to re-enter the classroom and start to teach in ways that center the rest and care of her students as well. There's a whole world of educators in this country who recognize how messed up everything is and who have created alternate spaces. I love those alternate spaces. And I find myself drawn to creating those alternate spaces in places that don't see them because truly it does not feel as isolating as I thought it would because it's an effective practice to teach with humanity and excitement and to honor your students' interests and needs. People get curious. They don't necessarily similar to yoga, perhaps like understand everything that's happening underneath. Maybe they just see what happens on the surface, but it's different. There's a different energy. There's a different community in my classroom. I think we just haven't all had the experience to see not only the other side as far as what education can look like, but as teachers to see the other side to recognize that administration isn't something to fear as much as we are taught to. They're just people, so you can do your thing. I think I felt this deep sense of fear that everything would go wrong if I were not perfect because they keep telling us that we need to be perfect. But showing up confidently authentic, I think always rocks the socks off people. Yeah, 
I messed up on that. I'm sorry. I'm just a person. I'm not perfect. I'll do better next time. But I'm not going to hurt myself over it. I'm not going to give that more meaning than it has. And I won't give that more meaning than it has when you make a mistake either. Because that is the feeling of humanity that we do to one another. By modeling it and just being it and then living your life. I don't think that I had that simple understanding earlier on in my career. I was very committed to trying to be my most impressive and excellent self, which really stopped me from being my most impressive and excellent self. I see that now. Then I was just like, no, we had things to get done. <laughs> and I'm like, no, we were all deeply dysregulated and we needed to take a deep breath. My students, I get to see them help each other to regulate their nervous systems because they've been taught explicitly and have practiced together how to breathe, how to calm down. <laughs> and they help each other with it all the time. One of my yoga teachers says, we don't practice running when the tiger is behind us. You practice running so that when the tiger's there, you know how to run. When we don't practice yoga just in the moment where we're the most stressed and needed, we practice it all the time so that when that moment comes, we realize, oh, it's always with me in this breath, in this stance, in my mind, in my actions. This is the yoga right here, right now. Planting those seeds, especially with kindergartners, fruit so quickly. And it's really, really, really beautiful to witness. Brittany's yoga practice is her teaching practice. Her teaching practice is her learning practice. Her learning practice is her loving practice and one done in fugitivity. For her, loving is a shared lineage and one that does not need to be done under a spotlight, but can also happen in quiet virtual rooms with friends, at home with her son nearby, or Sunday sweetness shared on her IG page, where she also posts time-lapse videos of the commitments she's made to herself. So often we are told that we don't have the time. We have the time. You have the time. Take your time. It's not someone else's to control, to force you into something else. Do what it is that you need to do for yourself. I practice physical yoga in my own home, in studios, in nature, on walks, <laughs> wherever I may feel. I truly practice in my classroom. I definitely get down on our carpet. <laughs> and so do my kids. I record that and I meditate on what I feel led to share. There's so much that happens in a week that really reflecting on and studying yourself and how you showed up and what you received and what you offered and what you exchanged and what you'd like to release is such a beautiful practice that has made my Sundays sweeter to really stop and appreciate the people in my life, the tiny moments throughout the week that made me feel loved and connected and joyful Grateful to know so many sweet, thoughtful, hilarious, brilliant people who are spreading knowledge and joy throughout our communities. And to really be intentional about, I wish to step into the week 
knowing that there might be plans that other people have for me. Somebody might already be thinking about what they want me to do and how they're going to ask me to do it and whatever. But how do I plan on showing up into this week? What do I intend to get out of it? How am I already just like reading the room of the week? Like, yeah, this is about to be a great week. I can feel it. There's going to be joy and I'm excited to get to it. I also... (laughs) very seriously end every Sunday sweetness, encouraging us to drink water. We are deeply dehydrated. Every last one of us are taught to push through and to keep working at paces that do not honor our human need to drink and use the restroom, (laughs) especially in education. There are so many people who just deprive themselves of water because they don't know when they'll get a break to be able to relieve themselves. And that is a true disservice to ourselves as humans. You are deserving of the time it takes to be a person. (laughs) I probably have spoken to this in some way, but I would just say there is so much pleasure in just letting go and just releasing and seeing what you have left. Relaxing your shoulders, breathing very deeply, pushing some things to the periphery of your mind, and just being, of not taking on the extra time unpaid at work, of not pushing yourself to stay up later to do one more thing, of not denying yourself the time for a good meal, because you feel pressured towards a deadline. The small things that we can do to really honor that we are people, we are human beings having a spiritual experience. We are not meant to just work is one that many educators need encouragement around, especially younger educators. Those of us who have been able to figure out a way to stick into it long enough know that we need some balance. And I hope that the younger educators stepping into the fray (laughs) at this moment know that as wild as everything is, your wellness is truly the center of it all. It's the center for your kids to be well. So take a deep breath, drink some water, let it go. You don't have to be perfect. It's a miracle that you are here. It is a miracle that you are here. Gratitude, gratitude to Brittany. Y'all, you can find her on Instagram at Brittany Elise Yoga, which is B-R-I-T-T-N-E-Y-E-L-Y-S-E Yoga. Or check out our intellectual inheritance and you can click on the link that's there to get to her page. She is also sharing a special meditation with us. So go to our IG, which is Dancing on Desks and check it out there. What are you leaving with, Erin? What are you taking with you? I'm just thinking a lot about the leaving. I connected with that. I had a big leaving last year. Brittany's leaving really allowed her to practice self-love. And mine in many ways... (laughs) was an invitation to do the same and and in her doing so her pleasure grew and grew and she's even returned to school now as a kindergarten teacher and and just is finding delight and pleasure in her work 
I just thinking about how her journey to this self-love has really allowed her to now practice love with children, which in a school, you know, that love can also look a lot like refusal. Our conversation with Brittany had me going back to the chapter of Bell Hooks's All About Love called Commitment, Let Love Be Love in Me. And I was rereading what Bell Hooks writes about work. She writes, when I first declared my desire to work in a loving environment, friends acted as though I had truly lost my mind. But I was convinced that I would work better in a work environment shaped by an ethic of love. And when we work with love, we create a loving working environment. So I guess, Monet, when I'm thinking about our question of how can we sustain ourselves in education, I think it could mean practicing love and pleasure, not only in our interior, but also within within our classrooms. Later in the book, Bell Hooks also said, I know no one who has embraced a love ethic whose life has not become more joyous, more fulfilling, just like more joyous and more fulfilling. So I think I'm leaving this episode with that. How am I embracing a love ethic with my students, with my colleagues, with the families I'm working with when I'm at school? Mm -hmm. How about you? Yeah, I love it when we can share our readings with folks. And I just was thinking as you were speaking, when you talked about, you know, more joy, more, more fullness. This is really just a Black feminist podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we call it Dancing on Desks. And uh, it's really like a podcast about education as a practice of freedom designed by Black feminists and envisioned by Black feminists. What you're saying in responding to Brittany is also about the importance of studying wellness and to study wellness, to study wholeness, just like the curriculum we teach, just like the staff meetings we have to be in that our study of wellness and wholeness has to be just as urgent. And so how are we making time for that? The Tony K. Bambera quote that we named earlier in the episode comes from her novel, Saw Eaters. She talks about, it's a lot of weight when you're well, like this is a responsibility. It's a responsibility of the living for us to be well in mind, body, and spirit. And my friend, Ural taught us something last week as a check-in with your students or with people in his youth space. And I've started actually doing that with myself and it's been so helpful and it's called PIES. You ask yourself how you're doing. How are you doing physically? So this is like, how are you feeling inside of your body? How are you doing intellectually? So how are you, how are your thoughts? E is how you're doing emotionally. So your feelings. The S is optional. So this could be spiritually or a really specific area of your life. It's a time for me to just reflect on myself. And if I'm not feeling well in any of those areas, me thinking about that day, well, what am I going to do? to help myself be well and be whole, even if that's not where I am now. I sometimes struggle with just saying like, I'm not okay, or I'm feeling really, really tired. I think it's easy to, you know, when someone asks me how I'm doing, I'm just like, oh, I'm good. I'm okay. Um, but I'm really doing my best to name how I'm feeling and, and name it in a way that still feels powerful to me, but honest. Like not so I can be a better teacher, educator, not so I can be a better doctoral student or a better poet or a better writer or a better storyteller, but just how can I be a, a better me, the me I'm supposed to be in that moment right then and, and right now? That's the weight, the weight of wellness. When you share how you're doing, how you're really doing, it invites us to be authentic with each other and it invites mm -hmm. us to, to practice authentic love with each other too. So what is bringing 
you delight and pleasure this month, you can be in touch with us on our Instagram at Dancing on Desks or on our website, dancingondesks.org. Thank you for listening and for being with us and letting us be with you. We love y'all. Love you, Monet. I love you back. Peace, y'all. Peace. Dancing on Desks is a podcast created by us, storytellers and educators. Monet Cooper and Erin Thiesing. Our loves, Mara Johnson and Elliot Wilkes, created our theme music. Today's production could not have ever, never happened without our hive mind. So much gratitude to them. Check out your Dancing on Desks fam online at dancingondesks.org. You can leave us an audio note wherever you listen to podcasts. And find us on Instagram at Dancing on Desks. And share your stories with us there. Talk with you soon. Yoga is very open. So as Susan says, you know, you attending a protest is yoga. Palestine! 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 Palestine!